Hey, Jub. Hey, Ken. What's up? I, uh, you know, not much. Uh, did you hear that cinema is back? Yup. Because, uh, like, I mean, like, I know that, like, you know, movies existed all throughout 2020 still. But, like, you know, it wasn't the same, man. Because your federally mandated MCU movies weren't uh, available to go see at your local theater. But now... They're back. The MCU is back, Justin. You can take your whole family and go see... uh, You know, some, some great cinema. And have a good time... Uh, while the Disney employees in the back of the theater aim guns at your head to make sure you do not leave the theater uh, until the movie is done. Until the credits are done, actually, because that's how Marvel movies work. Uh, but um, Anyway, overly cynical uh, bullshit aside, uh, I saw The Black Widow. Did you see Black Widow? I was supposed to go time bubble yesterday. Disney's going to make um, you go. But we didn't end up going. So I might just end up running it on Disney Plus. I don't know. I don't know mm-hmm. how interested I am. This is the this is what I was talking about before. Like last year, this movie was supposed to come out. I don't know how much I care. You know, that's, uh, that's kind of what I was going to get into here is that um, this is quite possibly the most skippable MCU movie that's ever existed. Um, it's confusing to me on multiple levels. Like, everybody's concern and questioning of, like, why is this coming out now is well-founded. Uh, like, it's a movie that takes place after Civil War, but before Infinity War that's coming out now. And that's confusing. I'm not saying that like the movies shouldn't have to rely on other movies for for its anything, and and it doesn't. It's its own standalone thing. But like you know, it's 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 got that prequel problem, right? Where it's like, yeah, I I, I there's no tension with any scenes with Black Widow. Because I know that she dies later. You know, she needs to die in Endgame. So, like, not that I would think she would die. But, like, I mean, I guess I wouldn't have thought she died in Endgame either. But, <laughs> but um, right. And, and, you know, like, I also know that, like, the new characters aren't going to die either. Because they're here to be set up to be in the MCU in the future. You know, like, uh, her sister, played by Florence Pugh, like, like she's really good, and maybe she'll be a cool replacement Black Widow in the MCU. So I guess it's like, it might be important for that, but, like, I feel like you you'll get enough when she's reintroduced in a future movie to understand who that is anyway uh it's just i can't recommend it on its on its own basis either like if we ignored the mcu because it's just 
it's just a paint by numbers MCU movie. This is the this is the kind of MCU movie that people think like that criticize the entire MCU think all MCU movies are. Do you know what I mean? Like this is like the stereotype. <laughs> this is like the oh, no. like this is the cookie cutter like insert MCU movie here MCU movie. Uh so like you know, it's not bad. It's not great. It exists. <laughs> so, you know, I I can't say that I would recommend it necessarily. Um but I wouldn't say to not watch it. You can watch it if you want. David Harbour's fun in it. And like, you know, yeah. The no, villains that, are terrible, but hey. This is this is kind of what I've heard. I heard they like Taskmasters is kind of like a one-note fucking Yeah, um there's a lot of discussion about Taskmaster that I think is slightly toxic. And like I'd have to get into spoilers to get into why, but like I won't. But I will say that like Taskmaster is like a character I like in the comics because he's very atypical. He's kind of just like a working class villain where he's he's kind of just a dude who lucked into having a talent and he's just like I'm going to use that talent to like fight superheroes because it actually allows me to fight them effectively and I'm just going to use that to like be a mercenary man and he's kind of just a regular dude and like for some reason I find that really interesting and an atypical for like you know because most villains have more grandiose schemes you know mm-hmm. yeah uh if if you want like a cool version of taskmaster i would suggest playing the ps4 spider-man game and doing his side quest if you want a cool like if you want a bad version of taskmaster that isn't very close to what the character actually is you could watch Black Widow. Uh, <laughs> like it's 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 a character that's like closer to like the Terminator than Taskmaster, in my opinion. It's kind of just whatever. That's kind of weird. And then the other villains in the movie are very uh, bad. Uh, b- bad metaphor for like sex trafficking and and like you know me too kind of stuff like you know like it's all there it's all very obvious because there's like you know black widow was part of like a this you know russian crime syndicate of some sort that like turns young girls into living weapons and there's parallels there and and like like the movie begins like it's going to be extremely serious with this topic like how fucked up is this shit but then it becomes your your typical MCU movie in like the first 20 minutes you know it's the the jokes are there and they're coming Yeah, that's, I, I don't know. It's, it sucks, but it's also not surprising. 
<laughs> Honestly. Right, yeah. I would. Uh, I saw the I saw the I saw the clip online like the about the fucking uterus joke. And um Yeah, that's uh that's that's something, isn't it? Uh You know, I I think it was fine. I don't think it was like that weird. I I thought it was fine. Uh mainly cuz Florence Pugh is has good delivery with that. But like it it's all it that that line kind of stems from an awkward line that Joss Whedon wrote in a, in Age of Ultron, where like if you remember the fantastic film Age of Ultron, uh, <laughs> top tier film, yeah. You know. uh, everybody loves Age of Ultron and Joss Whedon. I've heard everybody loves Joss Whedon. He's a very well liked man. Uh, yeah, because there was the scene where like. Uh, you know, Scarlet Witch fucks with all the Avengers' minds, and she shows Black Widow her past, and then she talks to uh, her love interest in that movie, Bruce Banner, and says something about, like, you know, they removed my uterus, I can no longer have kids, and then she says something like, you're not the only monster, Bruce? Uh, like, equating the fact that she can't bear children to being, like... A, a vicious monster like the Hulk. Uh, and a lot of people didn't like that, as you can maybe guess. <laughs> so, I mean, like, I could see how the MCU would want to, like, take that fact of her backstory and, like, maybe twist it a little bit to, like, you know, in this movie, not have it be tension that's hanging in the air. But I still think it was a weird... It was weird to even bring it up in both instances. Just don't... Don't talk about that. That's weird, dude. Yeah. It's, it's uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And it's just as uncomfortable when you come around and make a joke about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you're down on the MCU and you're like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I even care... After the That's Thanos me. stuff. Don't watch Black Widow. However, you have another option. Uh, go watch Loki, which is probably the thing that should have had the movie budget behind it instead of Black Widow. I realize Black Widow has Scarlett Johansson in it, so that's probably how that happened. But I mean, like Tom Hiddleston's a big name, and there's big names in Loki. I'm just saying, like... It's weird to me that, like, Loki has a much more fantastical setting and premise, and yet has the the TV show budget. So, like, sometimes stuff doesn't look as good as it could, but Black Widow gets the movie budget for uh, something that is, I guess, more street-level, if you will, although obviously there's millions of explosions and collapsing buildings and effects and shit. Uh, you know. Well, this is kind of be kind of how this goes now, right? Because they probably... You're, you're talking about straight, you know, movie-level Disney analytics, right? Yeah. Where something like WandaVision and Loki is a little more, like, not as consumable as something like Black Widow... So it's probably easier for them, and it's like their idea to just keep it as like a TV show budget, and put it on 
the TV, basically, with Disney Plus. So that, you know... Yeah, maybe it's more like the money. maybe it's like the idea is that like Black Widow is the more safe bet for movie going mm-hmm. audience, and then Loki is weird, and and that maybe is why they made it a TV show because Loki is really right. weird. But I fucking loved it. Loki's great. Loki's one of my favorite MCU things so far, and is probably the only thing so far. Even though I did enjoy WandaVision, that that has given me kind of like hope in like this the future of the mcu because it's the thing that i think taps like rips open some potential you know because i wasn't getting a whole lot of potential with stuff like black widow and stuff like falcon and the winter soldier i it which kind of just tread similar ground that they've already treaded uh loki's different and I really don't want to say anything about Loki because you should watch it. It's good. Um, excellent, excellent, excellent show. Only six episodes. It's a quick, quick binge watch if you do it that way, which I think it might even work better that way. Like, I watched it week to week, but, like, it flows really well, and it's very different. It's it's not as like action set piece heavy. It, there's like a lot of slow lore building conversations in Loki, which is neat and atypical for the fucking MCU. Yeah, well, the, you're gonna find a lot of more stuff like that on the TV show side, right? Because like, well, you would hope. I I didn't really feel like I got that out of uh, Falcon Winter Soldier. I'll tell you that. Oh really? Okay. No, not really. I mean, it was fine, but like, yeah, I feel about it similarly to that I feel about Black Widow. Interesting. Yeah, I've I've, I've watched exactly half of WandaVision, and that's all I've watched of New Marvel so far. Loki's probably the most important too, just to like the overall okay. like what the next chapter is for the MCU. It's also the only one of these shows that has actually been confirmed to come back for a, a second season. Like, it's not just going to be a miniseries. Like, there's more to the story to tell, which uh, I'm excited for, actually. Like, if, if at the end of Falcon Winter Soldier you told me that, like, there's going to be a season two, I'd be like, eh. But, like, Loki ends in such a way that I was like, oh, shit, fuck yeah, Loki season two. And, like, that's a good feeling to have, you know, like... I haven't really had that feeling in a long time with the MCU where it's like I actively want more of it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's it's been a it's been a bit. Uh So yeah, that's my thoughts on that. And I don't know. You got anything? Nope. Okay. <laughs> then then you can do the transition part of the show. LMAO. Okay, you got it, buddy. I'm gonna do it right now. Everybody, welcome to the Ken and Jub show. That's Ken. Hey, hi, how's it going? 
It's it's early in the morning for me. I'm a stupid person. I'm show and welcome to the job. I'm sorry, did I say that wrong? No, I didn't say that wrong. I am show. The Gannon Show today, Show. Right. And today we're looking at Nightmare on Elm Street 4. The Dream Master. It's, um, you know, it's a movie. We'll talk about it. <laughs> it's it's a movie. I, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to deny it. Its place is as a movie. But I will deny it its place as a good Nightmare on Elm Street movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, deny that shit hard. There's funny stuff in it. Like, I don't know. It's definitely like the beginning of the, I don't know, let's just come up with funny ways for Freddy to kill people phase of the of the franchise. And we're in it now. But, uh, I don't know. So, Jusby, what have you been up to, mate? So, yeah, something I want to have a little fun with here. So, as we talked about before, you know, Nintendo had its E3 thing. They announced Metroid Dread coming out in the Octi, the Octobi of this year, right? So, I decided I'm going to go through and play every 2D Metroid game. And I'm going to do it in a particular order where I'm going to play the original, the, the, for one and two at least, the original game and subsequent remakes. Like, in order. Like, basically, release order, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you're going to play Metroid and Metroid Zero Mission, is what you're saying? So, so I'm, I'm actually already a chunk of the way into this, because okay. a lot of the earlier Metroid games are very quick beats. Most Metroid games are very fast to beat. Yeah. And I know a lot of them, because I'm a big Metroid fan. So, so far, in this order, I've played through Metroid 1, Metroid Zero Mission, Metroid 2... Now I'm on AM2R, which is another Metroid 2 remake. It's a fan-made Metroid 2 remake that got ceased and desisted by Nintendo because literally a month later they after made that came own, out, yeah. they announced yeah. right, they announced Samus Returns. That that is exactly why it got ceased and desisted so fast, by the way. Yeah. Well like, there's no question about that's it. That's usually how this works, right? Yeah. Just usually, like, Nintendo's been pretty, like, not on top of fan-made Metroid stuff. Like, there's a whole website called Metroid Construction, mm-hmm. which is, like, nothing but, like, uh, like pages and pages of Metroid ROM hacks. And it has not been touched by Nintendo. I think it was specifically a timing thing. Huh. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty annoying. Because that game is excellent. But I want to rewind... I'm gonna go. I'm gonna just give a quick little pop review of each game and how I feel about it in modern context, along with how the remakes, you know, kind of reimagine it and how things change and how things are made better. Go for it, dude. Because with every single one of these remakes, the game is just made better flatly. Um, because Metroid One and Two on their own are not that great. Metroid One is easily like the worst 2D Metroid game. I guess that's to be like, expected easily. to a degree. Like. You know, yeah. There's a lot of issues that, like, a lot of small gameplay kinks that, like, weren't worked out. Um, yeah, like having a map 
because <laughs> like knowing yeah. where like it's so it's so hard to know where you're going in that game, especially because that game is designed very samey. Like a lot of the hallways, the rooms, and everything look the exact same. So it is really hard to like fully grasp like where you're going. Right. When you die, it puts you all the way back to the beginning. You retain all the items you've gathered. But you're put there and you have like no health. You have like 26 health, I think it is. Which means you have to farm your health back up. And then work way all the way back to where you are. And it's more annoying to do in later game than it is earlier game. I'm bad. Because while the areas kind of like branch out, there's some spots that are really deep. It's, it's kind of a... Uh, Kind of annoying, and it makes the game really, really hard to play. So I got about halfway through the game, and I started getting really frustrated. You know, I talked about Metroid construction before. Yeah. So I went on there, and there's there's a lot of neat ROM hacks for each of these games. Mm-hmm. The the second most popular Metroid One ROM hack is one that literally fixes this issue. It gives the game a map. Oh, that's cool. It makes it so when you respawn, you have full health. Nice. I was like, hell yeah, that's great, let's do it. I downloaded that pack, and the game felt much better to play. I knew where I was going, I could see where I haven't been. It was very nice. But still, even then, Metroid 1 is not great. It doesn't feel great to play, but it is an NES game, so you know, I give it a little break. Then I moved on to Metroid 2. On the Game Boy. I really also don't like this game. Um, I didn't like it back when I played it originally. And it's one of the reasons why I think Metroid 2 was like targeted so hard for remakes. That game is... Like it needed it, yeah. Yeah, that game is incredibly difficult to play. Mm. Because it is the areas in that game are huge, and you don't have like a lot of perspective. The game's like kind of like really zoomed in on Samus, and that's also to help like loading and stuff like that. Because obviously the ram on a Game Boy is not good. <laughs> so it makes the game just super super difficult to play. <clears throat> I got through it though because the game's pretty straightforward. You were literally just killing Metroids. Like, literally 100 Metroids, and then the game's over. Oh, okay. Um, it's a pretty basic concept. Metroids are easy to kill. The game's really, like, easy. Doesn't really kick your ass that much. Right. But, like, at the time, it was cool. It's a fun little thing. Um, but Metroid Zero Mission is a complete, like, overhaul of the first game with much of its same, like, area concepts retained, everything else is vastly improved. It's, like, a lot of people... It's a lot of people's favorite 2D Metroid. Still. Um, I guess there hasn't really been that many, but it's, it's a lot of people's favorite 2D Metroid. And I understand why. It's super cool. It's got a lot of great abilities. The music's great. It looks really cool. Um, I personally don't like the way Zero Mission feels to play, like, Samus' weight. And I think it's, like, every single 2D Metroid game that came out after Zero Mission kind of, like, just copies the weight of Samus in that game. 
and it just feels awkward to me. Now, it might be because I'm a Super Metroid speedrunner, but Super Metroid has, like, historically way different feeling compared to the other games. Samus is much okay. floatier. Hmm. Um, wall jumping's a lot easier. You go higher when you wall jump. So it, it's done very, very differently. Um, and I, I don't necessarily like the way it feels. I think it's a little too heavy. Samus falls too fast. It makes it kind of hard to course correct if you miss a jump. It kind of like, you know, hurts the platforming a little bit, in my opinion. But, game's fucking cool as hell. Um, the, yeah, that stealth section afterwards, like you beat original Metroid, there's a whole other section to the game where your zero suit Samus, all you have is a stun gun and you have to sneak by and run away from space pirates until you get your suit back. That shit's fucking cool. I love that section. That does sound neat. It's really fucking cool. You're in like a like a, some really old Chozo ruins. And it's also where you like learn more about Samus, I guess, like in her story and everything like that. There's lore. You didn't know. There's lore in Metroid. Lore in Metroid's actually really cool, but kind of like in Dark Souls, kind of got to go looking for it. Yeah. They find it. It's, it's actually really, mm-hmm. it's really fucking interesting though. Um, I'm sure that like zero mission, like Samus was raised by the Trozo. It's like a really ancient alien race. That's why she has her suit. Yeah, a lot of her, all, all of her, her suit and all of her abilities and like that are all Chozo tech. It's really cool. The game kind of gives you this little thing at the end. It's like this, this. It zooms in on like this old structure with like a bunch of hieroglyphics and stuff, and you see a little drawing that Samus drew when she was a child. Of her with 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 a couple chozo, it's really cool. I think it's fantastic. I recommend anybody plays your Demetrius Zero Mission. It's it's enjoyable. It's not that long because it's made to be a portable game. It's really quick beat. I think I I beat it in like two and a half hours. It's GBA, right? GBA, yeah. You know, which means you wanted to play it get hard. You could run it on your laptop. Your your laptop would run a GBA emulator. You think Nintendo will sell me a copy on my laptop? Nope. <laughs> you know, it's a shame questions, that, you like, could, you know, borrow my copy. I know. It's it's a shame <laughs> that, like, uh, so many of these games are kind of just like, you know, I don't know, I guess just get a Game Boy Advance. Like, like that's an easy, like, ask. You know what I mean? You can get, yeah, you can get, like, you can still get, all, all like, a lot of really good GBA games on the Wii U eShop. Yeah. You know what? But. Nah. I'm good. You know, I do want to get I a Wii do, U. I just do have. I just got a Switch. Actually, um, I own a Switch now. Uh, so no, I don't think I'm in the market for a Wii U. Uh, oh, okay. okay. I just got a Switch. I, you know, I don't want to pay a lot more money for a console that most of the games on it are on the thing I just got. I mean, if I really want to play Star Fox Zero, maybe I'll consider it. I think that's the only, like, <laughs> Nintendo exclusive that didn't make the transition. Yeah, and it won't. And it won't, because it's bad, yeah. Yeah, it's not a good game. It's only one of those games that wasn't good. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So anyway, what else, what other Metroids you got? Uh, so then... Uh, I played Metroid 2 after that, and, you know, wasn't the biggest fan of it, but I, but it was enjoyable enough, and I played AM2R. I'm in the middle of it right now, I'm not done yet. 
Okay. The game is this game is much longer stretched out. It takes you know Metroid 2's concept expands on it a whole bunch while retaining like a lot of the same atmosphere and everything that the original game had. Makes it sound great. Makes it play great. It feels a little bit like Zero Mission Samus is really heavy, but you get a little more precision in your platforming, which I enjoy. And the game's fucking excellent. It's really fucking good. It is what I expected a remake of Metroid 2 to look like. Samus Returns, I'll, I'll get to it probably, I'll talk about it probably next week, is a very different kind of remake than to Metroid 2 than AM2R is. AM2R is incredibly faithful. It adapts that 2D Metroid formula like to a T. Samus Returns with what Mercury Steam did is they really mixed it up and it's kind of why I'm excited for Metroid Dread. Yeah. It's going to be a different 2D Metroid game. It definitely looks like it has a different vibe. Like the running away from the robots in the trailer seems to be a different kind of thing for Metroid and I like it. Yeah, that's really cool. Like, it borrows from Zero Mission a little bit on that concept, right? Yeah. Um, which it's just going to be really cool. I'm excited for that. Um, their games are... They're, they like Samus Returns, at least, is much, much faster. Um, your Samus moves faster. You jump faster. You have a parry. Like You have options to just like blitz through areas. If something attacks you, you just parry it and kill it, and you keep moving. Cool. It's really cool. It's a, it's a different way to play Metroid, and I really, really enjoyed it. Some people didn't, but I thought it was fucking sick. It was really cool. The only, the only thing is, like, the only thing about that game was that when you did your parry, you couldn't, you couldn't move like it stops you dead. Apparently, they changed that in Dread, where you could just be moving and parry at the same time, which means the game's going to get even faster, which is sick. That game's going to be super cool to see speedrun, I bet. Hell yeah, dude. But yeah, AM2R is excellent. It is hard to find right now. But I think it's worth a play. From anybody. <laughs> as well. Metroid games are just really good. They're excellent, excellent 2D platformer action games. I think they're some of the best of the best. And, you know, the only things that are really comparable are like Castlevanias. But even then, I don't think a lot of them come close. I like the sci-fi atmosphere of Metroid better, much as I love Castlevania. Um, Metroid's world is a lot more interesting. But yeah, that's where I'm at so far. I'll, I'll report back next with... Uh, with my final thoughts on the 2R once I finish it, because like I'm not too, I'm not far enough in it to really give a lot of comments about the full game. Well, okay. I got Spider Ball, and that's really fun. Spider Ball is cool. I just think it's only in Metroid Two, where you you can use your Morph Ball and down again when you're in Morph Ball, and you can like ride on walls. And Web stuff. Ball. I think they use Spider Ball in one of the Metroid Prime games. I forget which one. That's the only other time it's been seen. That's interesting. Super cool. I would always, I would have thought that, like, I mean, like, I know that, like, each game would add, like, new things, but, like, that's interesting that there's ones that are only in certain ones, never used again. Mm hmm. Huh. Yeah, it's really fascinating. It's cool as hell. So, you're currently playing AM2R. Right. After that, I'm going to do Samus Returns. Right. And then you got, like, what, Fusion? 
And uh, yeah, I, I mean, there's Super Metroids in there. Super Metroid. I, for those who don't know, I speed run Super Metroid. You basically I play randomizers of it all the time. I play that game top to bottom. Super Metroid. I don't think you need to replay it right. necessarily. Well, <laughs> what I'm gonna do with that? I'm gonna have a little fun with that one. Yeah. Um, there is there is a circling back to Metroid Construction, which is a great site. Um, there's a ROM hack for that game, um, which gives you something called Infinite Spike Suit. Spike Suit and Super Metroid, and in most of the other Metroid games, uh, you do an ability called Speed Booster if you're running for a certain amount of time. Famous goes like ultra fast, and she can like break through stuff. If you get down one, you're running, it stores a charge, and you can jump, and you'll like fly in a direction until you hit a wall. And so this this mod just gives you that all the time. Well, that's cool. Which is really, really fun. So it'll be it'll be super fun. Which I, I I'm gonna do that just for funsies, and I'll probably beat it super fast. But um, it'll be interesting. And then after that, yeah, it'll be fusion. That's it. That's all. Right. There's no other Metroid games. There's the Prime series. Right, there's no other Metroid games. There's Metroid Pinball. Yeah, that's a great game. So you're telling Everybody me? Hasn't played Metroid so you're Pinball. telling me if I Look went on Wikipedia right now, uh-huh. and I was like the list of Metroid games, and so there'd be the stuff that you mentioned, and there'd be the Metroid Prime games, and there'd be that Metroid yep. Prime Pinball, and there'd be uh-huh. nothing else, right? I'm a page for Metroid Dread. There'd be um, nothing else, yeah, right? It. Right. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm sure that's, that's true and correct. Yeah. Alright. <laughs> anyway, I'm done with my long rant. Well, speaking of long rants. Uh oh. Um not really, probably. Get yeah, on another one. I watched a film this week, this past weekend. Uh, it just came out. It'll probably have been out for a week by the time you guys listen to this. So you've probably already seen lots of takes about it on on Twitter and then others and other social media sites. Uh, I was morbidly curious, and I decided to. Watch Space Jam 2, uh, whatever the fuck the title's called. I, I don't know. Nobody doesn't call it Space Jam 2. Uh, it's, it's like Space Jam. Space Jam 2, another one. Yeah. But it's, it's like Space Jam, the, the, next, the next legacy, the new legacy. I think it's, it's Space legacy? Jam 2, a new legacy. A new legacy. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's what it is. All right, so like, okay, so I, I'm not, you know, I love, I love Looney Tunes, absolutely love Looney Tunes. Have loved Looney Tunes since I was a wee lad. Um, and when I was a little kid, and Space Jam came out, like many people, I was pretty ecstatic because it was the '90s, and if you liked Looney Tunes. And you had even a passing liking of 
Michael Jordan, here's this movie to just combine the entire 90s into a movie and just shove it at you. Uh, And, you know, I'd be lying if I said I had absolutely no nostalgia for it because I do have nostalgia for Space Jam. But, you know, upon rewatching that movie as an adult... Uh, and it's been a while. Like, you know, it's it's not a movie I revisit often. Uh, it's not good. It's a big commercial movie. So far be it for me to expect Space Jam 2 to be good. You know? Uh, <laughs> like, it's... I, I didn't expect it to be good. But I had heard a lot of uh, hyperbole about it on the internet. And I I don't think it's like the affront to humanity that some would have you believe. It's not like the worst human creation. It's not the downfall of man or anything, but it's not a good movie. And it's kind of just Warner brothers jerking themselves off. Uh, because it's a showcase for all the IP they own. Uh, more than it is a movie, really. And I, I assume that's pretty obvious to you if you've seen any clips from this thing. It was obvious from the trailers. And, like, yeah, it's just... It's just, like... Oh my god, it's Harry Potter world! Oh my god, it's King Kong! Whoa! What the fuck? Is that the Clockwork Orange guys in the background? That's kind of weird. Why is... Why? What? What? Why? Yeah, <laughs> this is a good question as, as to why. <laughs> I remember... Like I, have, I have less than zero interest of watching this movie. And, like, every single... <laughs> it, the, every single thing I hear about it just makes mm. me go... What? So, Why? so here's the part about it I, I did not know. Um, I assumed they were going to space out the trips to the other universes, right? Like, you know, if you're not familiar, the plot of the movie is that LeBron James, famous basketball man, uh, is going to play a game with the Looney Tunes, but... He's playing it, like, inside the server-verse, is what they call it. And it's, like, it's basically just, like, he gets sucked into Warner Brothers servers at Warner Brothers HQ or whatever. And, and like, inside the servers is, like, a kind of, like, Wreck-It Ralph 2-esque universe of every Warner Brothers property has like its own planet uh so like the Looney Tunes live on the Looney Tunes planet but then there's like a planet for Game of Thrones and Harry Potter and like everything that is owned by Warner Brothers and uh I assumed with this concept that they would you know, have, like, references throughout the entire movie and have them be spaced out accordingly with these trips to the other planets. But really, uh, 
most of the references to other properties are jam-packed into one single nightmarish five-minute long segment. Uh, and I was completely baffled. Like, like it's honestly just, like, for five minutes of this movie, it just turns into a terrible episode of Robot Chicken, where it just constantly switches to a new IP and makes a, a attempt at a joke, and then switches to a new IP and then makes an attempt at a joke. Uh, you know, but all, you know, like, I'm not saying Robot Chicken's always terrible. I'm saying a bad episode of Robot Chicken. At least, like, at least, like, that, like, comes up with an idea for, like, what the joke is about the property they're parodying. Here, it's just, like, there's no joke. It's just, like, here we are in the movie Austin Powers... And and Elmer Fudd is Mini Me, and he's dressed up like Mini Me. And then there isn't a joke. He doesn't even say anything. He's just there. And that's What's supposed to be funny enough on its own, but it isn't. And and that's the majority of these like things, because like the plot is that like. I guess in order to recruit the rest of the Looney Tunes, they LeBron and Bugs Bunny have to go get them from the other universes because they all like left the Looney Tunes world to go see the other universes. So, you know, your your concept is you're going to cross over these Looney Tunes characters with these other properties. What are the jokes you can make? And they don't make any jokes. It's just, what if the Granny and Speedy Gonzalez were in The Matrix? And there isn't, like, a joke. It's just they're there, and, like, they, they do slow-mo stuff, like, from The Matrix. But, like, there's no joke made about The Matrix. They're just in The Matrix, it's very okay, confusing like, to me. There's just no joke. Right, it would be one thing, right, if it was, like, poking fun at it? Yeah. Doing something with the concept. Right, I think it's supposed to be just funny on its own, seeing Foghorn Leghorn dressed up like Daenerys riding a dragon. I think that's just supposed to be funny on its own. But, like... You know, it isn't. <laughs> right. There there was, like, you know... It, I think, like, you know, a, a lot of these kind of movies that are reference-heavy and, like, take place in, like, established worlds, like, you got to have, like, something that makes the concept work. And, like, you know... Like, like I always think about, like, Wreck-It Ralph 1 and how it kind of makes its video game universe work. With scenes like, you know, he goes to, like, that bad guy AA meeting, and there's, like, all the bad guys sitting around the table from him. I think that's a good way to make a scene like that, because it has a funny point to it, you know? Where, like, all those characters are there, and talking about 
being a bad guy and how they like being bad guys, and then Wreck-It Ralph is kind of like out of sorts with it. So there's jokes to be made there, and they do them. Like he like like he talks to Zangief and stuff like that. The, here, there's just nothing. There's just nothing at all. The closest thing they have to a joke is like like Wiley Coyotes in Mad Max Fury Road, and he does the witness me thing. But like instead of saying witness me, he holds up a sign that says witness me. Get it? Because that's how Wiley uh-huh. Coyote talks. But like right. that by itself uh-huh. is not funny. It kind of just feels like a fever dream. Like I'm dying. because like it's just like just like because it doesn't stop it's a five minute span where they go from like dc universe to austin powers to mad max fury road to the matrix rick and morty show up in the middle of it and 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 it's just like it's it, it casablanca i think yeah casablanca it just doesn't stop like I was afraid that this five minute segment was gonna go on for longer than five minutes because it it felt like longer than five minutes. Other than that, all your other references are kind of just background in the crowd scenes, which are extremely distracting. Like the basketball game itself just looks like complete visual vomit because everything is CGI. Uh, every single Looney Tunes character and every single one of the opponents that are like, I guess, real NBA and WNBA people, but they're they're designed to be like creatures as well. So like, there it's just a bunch of CGI vomit. The only real people there are like the actors in the movie, uh, and then the Looney Tunes are like turned into CGI creations as well. And they look worse as CGI creations. They were designed to be in 2D. They're supposed to be in 2D. Uh, they, they, I mean, they don't look nearly as terrible as like when you put The Simpsons in 3D. Uh, but, but like you know, it, it still doesn't look great. And then the crowd is just thousands of people that they filmed by themselves on on green screens and then just inserted into these crowd scenes. Or animated, like because there is some live action actors, and they're super distracting. Super distracting. Like you'll have like Don Cheadle as the villain having a conversation with like LeBron James' son, but like in the background and lit just as well as the like scene. The part of the scene you're supposed to be focusing on is a man who is portraying Mr. Freeze from Batman and Robin in, like, his icy robe and slippers, and he's just mugging it up for the camera. He's just, he's just like, making funny faces and moving around. And, and it's just, like, you can't even focus on anything that's happening because you'll just be looking in the background and going, like, is that... Is that fucking the Danny DeVito penguin? Is that the fucking Droogs from Clockwork Orange? Is that an evil nun? I don't even know what the evil nun is from. 
Is there like some conjuring shit? Like, and and it shouldn't be like to that level of distracting from you know the movie itself, just stuff that's in the background. But there's so much just reference vomit in the background that I just found myself looking at that more than the movie. And maybe that's what they intended to distract from the fact that the movie is not good. Yeah. God, it sounds like shit. Yeah, it's not good. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, one last uh, what I want to mention is... um. <laughs> I just found it really funny that, like, uh, LeBron James is playing himself, and I was like, okay, so anyone who is, like, a real-life person will be played by themselves, you know, because there's, like, uh, NBA stars that are in this that play themselves, and uh, other celebrities and, and people show up. But, but then, like... Sarah Silverman's in it as the head of Warner Brothers. Not as Sarah Silverman, as the head of Warner Brothers, who is, like, a unique character. And then, like, in the, in the boardroom meeting early on in the movie, uh, Steven Yoon is there as well as a Warner Brothers executive. And I'm like, these are really famous faces. And the movie, like, like you need to pick and choose movie, like... Are people playing themselves, or are people playing characters? Because it does both simultaneously. Like, Don Cheadle's playing the bad guy who is like a fucking computer algorithm, uh, not John Cheadle. So, like, does Don Cheadle not exist in this universe? I'm pretty sure he's been in a Warner Brothers movie. I, I don't know, like, it's, I, like, I just found that funny. But then funniest of all is LeBron's family is not played by LeBron's family, which, yeah. uh, it's just, like, LeBron's fake family. So you have all, like, you know, the first Space Jam didn't have this problem because it focused entirely on Michael Jordan's personal hang-ups as the problem, uh... And, you know, it was more believable for side characters that aren't actually people that, like, Michael Jordan knows in real life, like, you know, Newman from Seinfeld, to be in the film as as your side characters. But all of LeBron's side characters are his family being played by not his wife and not his kids. And it's... I'm not, like, saying I expect his family to be good at acting and also be in the movie, but, like, I, I wouldn't say LeBron is good at acting either. He's not here because he's a good actor. He's here because he's big, famous basketball man. Uh, but it's kind of just, like, weird that the movie wants us to care about LeBron's relationship, his strained relationship with his son, because he pushes him to, you know, be a basketball man like him when his son just wants to be a fucking gamer, alright? But, like, uh, like, it's... It's just... It, it all feels very hollow and fake because... It's not his family, dude. It's a fake LeBron family for movie. And it's it's a weird problem for a movie to have, because like 
they want the illusion that it's actually LeBron James for this cartoon film. But that illusion does not work very well when his family is not his family. And he has to have emotional scenes with, with them. Very weird movie, dude. I can't recommend it. Yeah, it sounds like shit. Glad, glad, every single thing I hear. Glad they gave Don Cheadle that bag, though. Don Cheadle's a good guy. And now that I said that, there will probably be news about accusations about Don Cheadle that come out in the media. So, I hope that doesn't happen. But he's a famous person, so there's always a possibility. Right. Just by saying he's a good guy, it's going to come back and be like, you know, Don Cheadle accused of, like, causing the Jonestown massacre or something. I'll be like, wow, that's crazy. How do you do that? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Uh, so, oh, and I watched Resident Evil Infinite Darkness, and I have literally nothing to say about it. It was bad. Don't watch it. Lol. Yeah, I figured. Yeah, every CGI Resident Evil movie has the same plot, and they're all bad. They're just varying degrees of serious or not serious. Um, the plot of every single one is man betrayed by government decides to use some kind of zombie virus to get revenge against government. And, uh-oh, Leon S. Kennedy is in the middle of it. Uh, and, and that's the plot of all four? That's the plot of all four. I, I, like, I don't know how they did it four times. And they, they'll probably just keep doing it. Uh, fuck that shit. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, fuck that. Not a not a super great year for movies so far, at least no! on the mainstream side. Apparently, uh, Pig with Nicolas Cage is really good. I do want to see that shit. I do want to see that shit real bad. It looks like a fucking winner. I also want to see Green Knight. Yeah, it looks good too. And I also want to see what will be the movie of the year. Jackass Forever. Is that coming out this year? October. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Let's fucking go. Uh, Last Jackass. One more ride, boys. Yeah, I'm very excited for that. Uh, even even though Bam Margera is not in it because he's an insane person now. But that's all right. Well, you know what? Don't need him. Let's go. <laughs> he was never the most important part. Yeah, I mean, at least, like, in, in the current modern day. I mean, if you asked me when I was a 14-year-old, I probably would have had a different answer. But, like, you know, I vastly prefer Knoxville, Steve-O, to Bam Margera. So, like, those are yeah, more important ingredients sure. to me. I'm just saying, I'm, what the more things I'm excited about is, like, how things, how different it's going to be while staying the same. Because you know they're going to do, like, a lot of the same shit. Yeah. But... Like they're all different people now, so yeah, that's gonna be fun. I think they're just gonna die in this movie. 
I think uh, Knockville got pretty fucked up filming this one. Yeah, he always gets fucked up filming all of them. But got, like, like really they're so old film. that like you know I'm surprised they're even doing this one. Three felt like the last one. Uh, like this is crazy. But I'll watch it. Oh, yeah. I'll watch these fifty year old men kill themselves. I don't know. I think it'll be fun. That sounds like fun. Fuck it. Hello, I'm Johnny Knoxville, and this is I'm Dead. And he just collapses. His bones are too brittle to do a stunt. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, are you ready to talk about this dud of a movie? No, but let's do it anyway. You know, I'm just kidding. I'm ready. I just was like, ah, fuck. Dream Master. Uh, whatever. It was a film. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> um, oh, this one ended up being one of our shorter ones. <laughs> I got a lot of factoids and stuff, and then I got I got I got a little bit to talk about after, but um, you know, I'm I'm just gonna come out and say right off the bat that this movie rides off of the concept as a true sequel to previous film, which is a good movie, and uh, yeah, takes a big old shit on all of the good things about that movie. Yeah, it does. Uh, so this came out about 18 months after the release of Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. This is Nightmare on Elm Street 4 The Dream Master, released in August of 1888. Uh, you know. 1888? Sorry, 1988. Yeah, the fucking, like, <laughs> ye old Freddy. <laughs> Time for a witch burning, bitch. Oh, that'd be sick. Just put Freddy in other time periods. That's how we make sequels. Hell yeah, dude. Let's go. So, like, yeah, obviously New Line, you know, in the before this, they, they were kind of like, you know, I, they were trying to, like, prove the worth of this as a franchise. And they did prove it with Dream Warriors because, you know, as Freddy Krueger would tell you if you worked at a video store in the in the 80s and you got that promotional video, uh, it made a bunch of money, right? So, like, uh, they had no desire to back out while there was still money on the table, even though Wes Craven was like, haha, this is the end, right? 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 Oh, no. And then, like, literally just, like, a year and a half later that this came out. So, now Wes Craven, you know, still when he realized they're making a fourth one, he gave a pitch to New Line on, on what he thought the fourth film could be. Uh, so I got a quote here from producer Sarah Risher on that pitch. Quote, Initially, I approached Wes for an idea for the fourth film. I always go to Wes first each time. His idea was illogical. It was about time travel within dreams that broke all the rules of dreams. We decided not to go with that. When we decided to go with William Kotzwinkel's Dream Master idea, which we thought was terrific, I told Wes we were doing that. End quote. So, 
Risher is referring here to a pitch from novelist William Kotzwinkel, who who would later be the mastermind behind the Walter the Farting Dog book series. If if you if you're unfamiliar oh. with that name, uh, so <laughs> Craven uh, gets passed over, even though he's like the creator of Freddy, and he's eventually asked to come do a rewrite of this script here for the dream master with his writing partner, Bruce Wagner, you know, they worked on, uh, part three, but Craven turned down this offer, uh, possibly because new line didn't go with his initial idea in the fucking first place. I, I, I could see why he wouldn't want to work on this one. It's a very similar situation to two where he was like, nah, I don't fucking care, dude. And, uh, so Craven is now not going to work on another Elm street film again until, 1994, when he would write and direct New Nightmare. So we need to get to a point where they actually kill the franchise actively for him to be given another chance to make a Nightmare on Elm Street film with a with a bit of a uh, new concept reboot kind of thing. So we got this Kotzwinkel script. Uh, this is going to be rewritten by Brian Helgeland, who... Uh, is a man who eventually won an Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay for L.A. Confidential in 1997. Now, the same year he wrote The Postman, which uh, won a Razzie for Worst Screenplay. So, take that as you will, I guess. Uh, He would eventually direct a few classics, like uh, A Knight's Tale with Heath Ledger and 42 with Chadwick Boseman. Um... But I don't know. I don't think this is a good s- script or anything. But there might be more reasons why, and I'll get to that in a in a second. Uh, but so th- even that's not enough. We need four writers on this sucker. Uh, Helgeland's script is rewritten by Ken and Jim Wheat. Uh, so this duo is most well known for writing the film Pitch Black, uh, and therefore they are the creators of the character Riddick. Uh, which uh, I don't I don't know if Riddick's ever going to show up in a movie again. Which is strange to me because Vin Diesel is more popular than ever with the Fast and Furious movies. Maybe they'll make a Riddick reboot again at some point. Uh, now you they may be remembered for that, but I'm gonna remember them as the writers and directors responsible for the made-for-TV classic. Ewoks, the Battle of Endor. Hell yeah. <laughs> Let's fucking go. I just wanted that to hang there for a second. Alright, so now now despite everything I just told you, um, it turns out that on this movie the writers may have impacted the film uh much, much less than you would believe. Uh, and this is because there was a 1988 Writers Guild of America strike. And this ran from March to August. So the movie came out in August. So there was a large portion of production where any additions or changes were instead tasked to the director, the producers, and, and even the actors. There's some ad-libbing and uh, writing from the actors in this movie, too. Uh, in fact, most of the nightmare sequences were dreamed up by the director and not the writers. So, 
maybe uh, this movie starts to make sense, <laughs> I guess, when we when we're talking about it like this. Um, so I guess that begs the question of who is the director, because you'd want someone who is like good, right? So this is interesting. New Line approaches none other than Tom McLaughlin, who had recently directed Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, which is my personal favorite Friday the 13th film. I think it was yours as well when we did our rankings of all the Friday movies. Um, and I, I think that sounds like the perfect fit, like McLaughlin's sense of like like the dark humor that was in that movie. I think would have been the perfect match for Freddy Krueger. Right. And uh, so obviously that wasn't allowed to happen. (laughs) So it, it would have been, so here's the story according to McLaughlin himself uh, from a quote here. Uh, Quote, when I finished Friday, I was offered nightmare four and went to new line, met with them. And I said, I love Freddy. I would love to do one of these but I really want to do what I just did where I had creative control and they go, well, we're already shooting. What? Yeah, we're already shooting. We're shooting like two different units for the visual effects and something else puppets or something. And I said, without a director. Yeah, we kind of know how we're going to make these things. And I went, that's not the way I work. So I turned it down. Which of course made Rennie Harlan's career. So, so yeah, like I guess they're just like I don't know. It, it feels like it's been this way since Nightmare Two, where like I talked about how Robert Shea was kind of just like overseeing the production to a degree that like overstepped the director himself. And he, I mean, like this is probably more common than you would think uh, and probably is still common to this day for these bigger movies like this, these things that are posed to be your summer blockbusters, I suppose. And, and although like Nightmare on Elm street is like, you know, not exactly an MCU movie. Uh, yeah, I could see to a degree that they would start working on it even before, there's a director, <laughs> but it's it's still strange and not good. And yeah, uh, let's talk about Rennie Harlan, okay. the director. Uh, not much of a career before helming Nightmare 4, but afterwards he did direct a lot of stuff, including a movie we've watched on here, Die Hard 2. Which I think is okay. Uh, I think it's his best movie, actually. Yeah, probably. Uh, Die Hard 3 is actually shit. really good. Huh? Yeah, I like Die Hard 3 a lot. No, he did two. Oh, two. Never mind. I thought he said <laughs> Die Hard 3. No, Die Hard 2 is <laughs> not. Two to airport one. Two is fine. Yeah. It's just, it's not like that interesting. Um, There's a lot of, uh, ooh. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of similarities here, just taking the, the formula and running with it, you know? Yeah, just, like, make the thing again. Yeah, but, like, worse. Mm-hmm. So, um, right. Harlan, I, I just want to point out, has been nominated for Worst Director by the Razzies five times. 
for, for those who are curious, those films nominated are The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, Cutthroat Island, Driven, Exorcist The Beginning, and The Legend of Hercules. So this is our director for the evening. Take that as you will. I personally enjoyed Die Hard 2, and I think you did as well. But obviously it's a pale imitation of Die Hard 1, all things considered. It's... I wish this was more like Die Hard 2 than this movie, I guess. Like, right. but, yeah, <laughs> but, but, uh... So Harlan's take on the franchise is one that doubles down on, like, Freddy basically being the protagonist of the film. Uh, here's a quote from Harlan. We've reached a point where the audience sees Freddy as the hero. They come to these movies to hear his funny lines and see him do those amazing things. And because of that popularity, I'm faced with showing Freddy in a more heroic light and giving him more screen time. People will still fear him, but they will also be cheering him on. And yeah, that's the, uh, that's the vibe of this movie. Uh, I think you'd agree. The thing that works well with Dream Warriors is you care about the characters in it. Yeah. Do you care about the characters in this one? Barely know them. Well, besides the, the first three kills of this movie, right? Yeah, the, the 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 returning fucking characters, all offed in the first twenty minutes, unceremoniously. Yeah, they literally spend the first like thirty. I think it was like kind of was thirty eight minutes of this film, just slowly killing off the, the cast of the previous film, which is just annoying. Honestly, it's just annoying. It feels like they were put there for no purpose. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's continuity, I guess. I would honestly rather it be treated like Friday the 13th, where, like, there's no returning characters ever. <laughs> it's just just like, yeah. it's a new group of people for, for Jason to kill. So yeah, we had Ken Sagos as Roland and Rodney Eastman as Joey. They came back to reprise their roles from Dream Warriors. But Patricia Arquette didn't join them for this reunion. Uh, Patricia Arquette, for whatever reason, decided to turn down a role in Dream Master. As maybe her career was beginning to take off, I suppose. And maybe this was a dumb uh, move to be in this movie. Uh, all things considered, she would have got killed 30 minutes in. So, she her her role is recast. Kristen's role, uh, and we got Tuesday Night, which is a real person's name, I guess. Uh, she does a okay stand-in job, I suppose. She's no Patricia Arquette, but honestly, I would have preferred this person as the lead instead of uh, Lisa Wilcox, who we'll talk about in a little bit. But um. You know, it feels strange to bring back the surviving characters, but not all the actors. Uh, I guess they all die in the end anyway, but, like, still. Yeah. Mm. Oh, Tuesday Night is also a uh, pop singer. She makes the, the song that plays during the intro, uh, Nightmare, it's called. A very creative name. 
but uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not the greatest song. No, it's uh, really bad. Well, yeah, I think that's something that I, I, I'll note about this movie is that uh, some critics referred to this one as like the MTV nightmare in the series because, yeah, you know, more so than a score, it kind of just has a rock soundtrack and a pop soundtrack. Yeah. Like uh, we got like Blondie, Billy Idol, Sinead O'Connor and, and Tuesday Night and... And also that the fucking like God, I'm just gonna talk about it now. It doesn't play till the end credits, but I gotta talk about it. Um, the song "Are You Ready for Freddy" by the Fat Boys, uh, which is uh, fucking absolute '80s cringe, dude. It's incredible. Um, dog shit. It's complete dog shit song. Uh, it has rap verses. From Freddy Krueger himself, like it's it's Robert England rapping, and it sounds exactly as bad as you would think. Like like it's like you know, eighties rap, like stereotype, like you know, like fucking like my name's Freddy Krueger and I'm here to say I'm gonna kill you in a gruesome way or something like that. Like I'm just right. like making it up, but like it's that terrible. Yeah, it's you that know? level of cheese. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's fucking awful. But that's kind of like the vibe we're getting here, and it's kind of bizarre because we we start with a character, Freddy Krueger, child murderer, portrayed in the first movie as pure evil, uh, and then we're now at the point where he he he's like. A, a rapping and and he's like you know kind of like the the focal point of the movie like you're not supposed to care about any of the characters you're supposed to just go like haha freddy killed him in a funny way he put on sunglasses cuz he's on the beach you know <laughs> you know like it's We've 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 completely transitioned into meme Freddy status here. Yep. Uh, this, this is where it starts. I think Dream Warriors was a happy medium between the two kinds of Freddies, the actually scary one and then the meme one. But this is full meme and completely dumb the, the whole time, which can be enjoyable in its own right. Don't get me wrong, but like. You know, he's definitely the best part of this movie. The worst part is everyone else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is how this is going to go for a little while, by the way. I'm, I'm sure. This is, the start of, this is the start of this. It's what this Fucking is. Fucking this. What this franchise is all the way until New Nightmare. So, get ready. Hell yeah, dude. Uh, oh, God. Okay, so... Yeah. Uh, uh, explain this people who didn't watch the movie, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, premise time. Yeah. What What is the plot, if you will? There's There's a plot here. It's It's a dumb, oh, it's a dumb one. Dumb plot. plot. Yeah. All right. Go ahead, Josie. So we got you know, we talked about before the three cast members of the previous film. You got 
Got a girl from previous films keeps pulling the other two boys into her dreams. She's like, Freddy's coming back. And they're like, no, shut up, dumbass. You're you're ruining my sleep. Let me sleep, you fuck. Yeah. And Roland then, is still funny in this movie. He should have had a better, bigger role. Yeah, I know. He's great. But yeah, so then one by one, Freddy starts killing them off. Uh, and then we have... Girl with her brother and brother's date and girl from previous film. I forget all these people's names. Kristen is um, the is the the one Kristen, that has the ability right, yeah. to suck people into her dreams from the last movie. Right. Um, so Chris, our new so yeah, main character is Alice, who is I guess right. a friend of Kristen's, and Alice has a yeah. brother uh, who's dating. Kristen. His name is Rick. Yeah, and he's dating Kristen. And he's dating Kristen. And, like, I, it's not right. clear if these characters existed previously or not. But, uh, whatever. Who knows? I guess the insinuation is they've been friends for a long time I, I or whatever. I suppose, yes. Yeah. So, Freddy does come back. And then he starts killing off the main cast one by one. Yeah, it, and then when Kristen gets killed, Alice, he pulls Alice into her dream. And then through some way, I don't know, who fucking cares? Uh, uh, Alice gets Kristen's power. Oh, pop Yeah, on. she making noise. You're okay. He's popping out. I know. It's okay. You go lay down. She's silly. Walking up and go. Yeah, just walks up and goes. Yeah, like real loud on my podcast. Thank you. Okay, that's all right. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, she's just doing what dad did. It's your fault. Well, you know. Pugs are loud. (laughs) They are very loud. They're they're adorable little monsters. Mm -hmm. So... But yeah, yeah like, so somehow uh, she gets powers. Yeah, well, because from... Alice is the dream master, I guess. Unless Freddy's the dream master. But like, I don't know. I I guess she's the dream master because like basically she gets like the quote unquote powers of everybody else who dies in this movie, all her friends. And I don't, I don't know. Whatever that means. Yeah. Uh, As they keep dying, she gains like their strengths, I guess. Yeah, like her brother is like a is. karate guy. He he's karate kidding it up, and and so she gets his karate skills, I guess. And and that's dumb. <laughs> like, because nobody actually has powers. Like, it's not interesting. Like it was in Dream Warriors, where everybody had like a dream ability. If it was like she got everybody's dream ability, that'd be cool. But it's not well, really that, that presented whole thing, like that necessarily. Well, that whole thing was like just like a you know an allegory about like you know playing to your personal strengths, right? Yes, and. That doesn't that concept's removed in this film. Yeah, they just they just have they just automatically have the dream power. Uh huh. I guess which the entire concept is that you're completely helpless in your dream or whatever. So I don't know how she gets to you know 
do that conceptually for these people, I guess. It just, like, makes it more mystical, which is fucking weird. I mean, there's there's already an element of that to the previous film, but it takes it, in my opinion, too far. Yeah. It, it's it's obnoxious, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, so she gets all these powers and stuff, and Freddy kills, like, all of her friends one by one. And then she goes and fights him, and then she beats him. In the end, that's literally the movie. Yeah, that, that's, that's it. it. Um, I guess we could talk about the cast and like maybe some kills that we liked, but other than that, yeah, that's like the plot. Lol. Dog still dogging. All right. Anyway, uh, yeah, you know, top build Robert England. Who would have guessed? Uh, actually, this is the first time he got top billing for the role. So, that's good. Good for him. Good for Robert England. Secure that fucking bag, dude. You're you're doing it, oh, man. Oh yeah, brother. Freddy, Freddy's great. Uh, Freddy's still great in this movie, even though he's like a meme man. Like it's still like really funny. Um, I like when he put the sunglasses on. That was funny. Yeah, it's a good. <laughs> uh, any kills you like in this movie? Yeah, there's there's a couple that are fun. Um, the whole the whole one where he kills Lifter chick is like oh gross. yeah that shit's fucking insane, dude. Uh, it's that's like truly fucking yeah wild. He like snaps the bar and her arms fucking snap off. But then yeah, but then she turns into a cockroach. And then she turns into a bug weird. and he like puts her in like a roach motel and like kills her. And he says a meme. I forget exactly what meme he says, but it's probably something stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he always says this dumb line, you know, every kill. Yeah, like the one with the nerdy chick. It's like, you failed. Or you flunked. You flunked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ. He kills her while she's, like, sleeping in class. So like he's he becomes the teacher or whatever he like eats an apple right like it's fucking like you know I want to know if if he actually shaved the skin of the apple with like the actual glove I would assume so oh yeah like he peeled it with his that's, with that his was probably claw. yeah that's that was a good bit that was funny yeah that was that was funny yeah. that's the good part about this movie is Freddy and the stuff yeah. he does can we talk about which is uh, gonna be consistent. Right. Can we talk about how he's resurrected? Because I'm kind of iffy on that. Uh, right. So he gets resurrected in what's his name's dream. Yeah. In Roland's dream, which takes place yeah, in the Roland's junkyard dream. from. It's the same set from Dream Warriors, but they just reused it. Uh, but, like, so Roland has a dog who's named Jason, which I think is obviously a reference to Friday the 13th, but, like. Right. Uh,. Like, like, Roland even says, get him, Jason, I think, it's at one point. Jason doesn't, because does, it's yeah. just a dog. But, like, Jason would be a weird name for a dog, so I think it, it can only be a reference to Friday the 13th, really. Uh, right, right. But, like, that dog goes up to Freddy's grave and pisses fire on it. And Some, yeah, I, I, don't I guess it. that resurrects Freddy, but, like, wh- what? Huh? What's up with that shit? <laughs> uh, nothing. It's literally haha, Freddy's back XD. Bruh. <laughs> Why that dog piss fire? 
Dog always pissing. He loves pissing. <laughs> Fire? Yeah, oh, okay. You know, whatever. Let me know the day I'm not gonna question it. Pisses fire. You know, dude. I feel like the the resurrections will get lazier and lazier as these movies go. <laughs> I just yeah. Know. Okay. Cool. Excited for five. Let me tell you. Uh, I love hey. how each movie has to undermine the previous one entirely because it's yep. just like we beat Freddy, and then Freddy's like, "No, you didn't. I'm invincible, bitch," and then just comes back instead. <laughs> like it's very self defeating. No progress can be made, really. So, uh... Yeah. What's our cast here? Lisa Wilcox as Alice, our new leading lady, the titular dream master, I suppose. Uh, she will reprise her role in the next film, probably to get killed off. In uh, in The Dream Child is the next one. Uh, so, she apparently got this role by intentionally toning down her looks... Because uh, she auditioned first, and then, like, they said she was, like, too good-looking, too pretty, I guess. So then she wore no makeup and unflattering clothes, and then she got the role. I don't know, Hollywood's weird, man. Like, yeah. they're like, look more dumpy, so that you look like a normal girl. Like, shut the fuck up, Hollywood, man. I eat my ass. She's bro. fine. Now, right. now, she isn't fine at acting, though. I don't think she's very good at all. I thought she was fucking terrible. <laughs> she's a uh, big, big step down from the acting of, of previous movies, which was also not that good uh, for your lead actor. Like, I, I just like she, she is tasked with tasked with like. A hard role, which is she has to play Alice, but then she eventually has to play Alice and other characters, like, too. Like, she has to, like, portray the other people that died to a degree. Uh, but I just don't think she's very good. No. Um, so, oops... Also not very good is Danny Hassel as Dan, uh, the jock Alice has a crush on, uh, who will also reprise his role in The Dream Child. He's just kind of there. The movie doesn't give us a whole lot about Dan. He's just like, I'm jock. And that's kind of the problem with a lot of characters in this, right? They're nothing. Uh, they're one note. They're one note and very boring. And it's like, it, it calls back to what makes, like, these subsequent slasher films so boring, right? Yeah. And, like, the thing, it's the thing that happened to, Fro like, Friday was like this the whole time. But, like, it was the one thing that set, like, free apart from a lot of those typical slasher films, right? Yeah. It had personality, and like nuanced characters it doesn't exist here right they reduced these characters are just nothing yeah they're just they're just like literally like pull a stereotype go to go, go to your go to the stereotype hat that everybody has with all the papers mm -hmm. in it and just like you, you have well, i'm sure i do i'm sure you have one in your house. <laughs> a stereotype and hat? just go ahead and like yeah 
and just go ahead and like fumble through it mm-hmm. and you know pick one of the papers and it goes like oh nerd chick and then like oh there it is <laughs> it's it's right there in Nightmare on Elm Street four jock bro that's cool. Was what was popular? Oh, Karate Kid. Oh, there it karate is. Karate Kid. They should have got Ralph Macchio, dude. That'd be crazy. Oh shit. Actual Karate Kid. Yeah. Let's fucking they, go. They couldn't afford that, probably. Uh, so, God, so, no. Jesus fucking Christ. Who else we got Brooke Thice as Debbie, uh, Alice's athletic friend who hates bugs. So of course, Freddy kills her while she's working out. And, and yep. turns her into a bug. Good special effects the, on that fucking part. That part's yeah. fucking disgusting. Yeah. The part's actually... It's gross, a, that's probably, yeah. like, the best part of the movie in terms of, like, actually being a disturbing horror film for once. Like, because mm-hmm. most of it is, is not. Like, all the other kills in the movie are, like, Freddy just shows up to, like, I'm the teacher, ha you got bad grades, and then he kills somebody. Or, like, he shows up in the karate thing and, like, has, like, a little kung fu fight. But, like, this is actually, like, a disturbing fucking nightmare sequence. And I think it's effective. So, mm-hmm. in terms of actually working, this is probably the best part of the movie, I guess. Uh, True. By the way, Brooke Thice, um, uh she would later win an Academy Award for her role as Ferris Wheel Mom... In the film Catwoman, Justin, I just figured I would let you know about that. It was a very important role for that film. Really uh, saved that uh, movie from being bad. Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> uh, who else we got? Andrus Jones as Rick, Alice's uh, brother, who um, gave me Christian Slater in Heather's vibes. I mean, besides all the white boy karate, I suppose. Uh, like a lame version of that character. Because, uh, like, I, you could tell, like, the producers wanted him to be, like, cool kid. Cool boy. But, like, he kind of just, like, listening to metal and doing, like, a white boy appropriation karate in his garage <laughs> like it's 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 not it, it's kind of stupid uh he doesn't appear in a ton of noteworthy films but he is in the video game night trap so obviously he's a winner <laughs> in my book holy shit uh <laughs> that's great oh we my got God. toy newkirk as sheila alice's nerdy tech savvy friend um she's not in anything else You know, it's just a lot of characters that are nothing, and they just die. Yep. They're only there to die, and they didn't think about them as characters, which is not how the characters in one or three operated. Hell, not really even in two. Like Not even in two, In dude. two, the side like, characters, like the side cast still had development. Sidecast was actually fun, actually, in two. We talked about that. We are like... Yeah, we liked Grady. His friends, yeah. like, yeah, Grady was fucking cool. Character, I he guess. He was actually fun. Like, there's not a character like that in this movie. No. Does not doesn't exist. This it's so flat, right? Like comparatively, going straight, like a week later, like watching watching three, and then a week later watching four. It just like it's so flat comparatively. Yeah, it's pretty bad. 
and it's so similar in concept that it's just like it's fucking annoying to watch. Yeah, I, I could agree. I could agree 100%. Hmm. That's really that's, that's that's about all I fucking got, man. There's not a whole lot to say about this movie other than just like factoids, no. which speaking of which, nah, hit let's me talk about a weird cameo. Um, do you like titties? Yep. There sure were titties in that one part of this yeah. movie when Joey oh, died. Oh, yeah, there were, but that's not the titties I'm talking about. I'm talking about the titties inside of Freddy. Oh. That was weird, right? Yeah. So, like, Freddy's, like, soul, like, I don't know, like, like there's, like, people, like, stretching out of his skin. It's a similar gag to when he, like, showed all the souls on his body in 3 and they were all like yeah. little heads, but here they like have like, like people trying to like squish out of his skin, and like their full bodies, like they're pressing against his skin, and they just have like a fucking nude woman's torso poking out there. At one point, is this supposed to be no. hot? No. I I mean, so uh. I found out that this is a cameo from Linnea Quigley. Uh, you know, so, so you know, she's likely given this quick, weird, nude cameo in a horror film because uh, she is the person behind one of the most memorable nude scenes in horror film history, which is... Uh, her naked striptease in a graveyard <laughs> in Return of the Living Dead, uh, which oh. is uh, iconic and strange. Uh, it's, it's, and, it's very and strange, very scene. funny. Uh, but like, um, so she's in this just to be a weird naked torso inside of Freddy. Uh, not not my favorite visual to think of in my brain. Uh, really strange idea there. Didn't like it necessarily, but uh, thanks for that, I guess. Uh, anyway, Dream Master was a success, incredibly successful. Grossed $49.4 million against a budget of $6.5 million, which I think is one of the higher budgets for this franchise. So uh, this made it the highest-grossing film in the franchise so far. It's a record it would hold until the release of Freddy vs. Jason. Um, less successful was the critical reception, although it, it does have a 52% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is higher than half of the entire franchise. So look forward to parts five and six. Woo. Oh yeah. So, um, that's about all I want to say about this. Really. I have a bit of an epilogue to talk about, but maybe we should just go ahead and, uh, like, like where, where would you put this in the, in the pantheon wall. Is this better or worse? Yeah, we let, let's skip let's skip one and three. We know it's worse than those two. Oh well, obviously, yeah. Is it is it worse than two? I think it's better than two. 
2 has maybe more interesting and likable characters, but this has better Freddy moments. 2 right. has like bad Freddy, like like they, like they were still trying to figure out what Freddy even was, I guess. Uh it's not inter- like Freddy is like one of the worst parts of 2. And you could tell in Robert England's performance cuz like he kind of doesn't even understand what they want him to do. You know, you got that, like, pool party part where he's just, like, a real person for no reason. Uh, (laughs) Like, here, at least, Robert England's in his fucking element, man. Robert England is going for it and being a fucking meme lord, if you will. I keep calling him that, but no one would have called him that in the 80s. But I think it makes sense. Uh, Freddy Krueger is a shit poster when you get right down to it. Does that sound right? Yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. a shit-posting child murderer. Uh, True. And put him on the lunchbox. Fucking. <laughs> it's He's so strange to me that he became such a popular pop culture figure. Because, like... He's a he murders children like I don't know like it's kind of funny to me that, that like you know I'm not saying like it's you're morally obligated to not buy Freddy Krueger merchandise like I'll buy Freddy Krueger merchandise but like it's just funny to me that he caught on so much and everybody was like oh hell yeah Freddy kill that bitch. <laughs> Goddamn. Yeah, I would say it's better than two. Yeah, I get the, he gets a slight edge. It's not by much. I'd probably give them both the rating of like five out of ten or like or so. Right. You know, Something I feel like similarly yeah. about these movies. They, they're both very flawed. Um, I'm very, I'm similarly unenthusiastic about both of these. Yeah. Shows. Right. Right. Um, so that makes sense to me. We'll plop it there. So the ranking would be three... No, wait, sorry. One, one, three, four, two. And that sounds right. Oh, and then Freddy vs. Jason at the bottom, you'd say. I guess I guess mm-hmm, we'll just mm-hmm. keep doing that. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to rewatch Freddy vs. Jason or not. I don't think I'm going to. I mean, I don't, I'm, we're not going to do an episode on it, but like I'm... I don't know if I'm going to rewatch it just on my own accord when it comes time to do it. Probably not. It's not like it's going to improve. Um, Oh, one part of this movie I do like that I do want to shout out is the part where uh, the dream keeps looping towards the end, where uh, Kristen and and Dan are, like, getting in the car and, like, going, like, we have to go save Debbie. And they, like, keep repeating the same stuff and the dream just keeps looping. That was kind of effective and cool. I liked that. Yeah, it was. It was interesting. When I um, when I first uh, I was first watching it again because it was been a minute and I forgot about that part and I was like, "Is HBO Max fucking up?" And like, <laughs> well, that's that's how you know that's an effective little part, right? It wants yeah. you to be like, "Wait, wait, it's just like literally the same thing again." And then they like slowly realize that the same thing is happening again and again, and that's how they snap out of it. You know, that's cool. That's like a fun way to play with the dream concept, you know, like. I liked that part. 
Mm-hmm. That and the death of Debbie, like, were, were, were cool, cool parts. parts. Yeah. Right. Freddy Mania, you know, had in many ways hit its all-time peak in 1988, you know, with this movie. And, and then a few months after the release of The Dream Master, Freddy would come to the small screen as well. Freddy's Nightmares premiered in October of 1988. It would run for two seasons and 44 episodes. Uh, the last episode would air in March 1990. So uh, just as a brief little thing... I'd like to talk about Freddy's Nightmares for a little bit before we close out this episode. Uh, I sent you an episode. Uh, I, I told you you didn't have to watch it. Did you watch it, though? No, okay, I didn't that's have time. Fine. So, like, yeah, like, uh, this show is kind of strange because it's not, like, on anything. Like, like it's it's it, there's no DVD releases. There's no... There's no, like, it's not streaming on anything. So the only way I found to watch it was uploads on dailymotion.com of, like, low-quality recordings. Uh, And I watched the... I went ahead and watched the first two episodes of Freddy's Nightmares just to to give a little sample, see if this is uh, any good. And the answer is probably not. Uh, Freddy's Nightmares is a weird show and probably not at all what you would expect. Uh, it's an anthology series. Each episode features a different cast. Freddy Krueger does not always factor into the stories being told. Rather, he is kind of a crypt keeper figure. He kind of like introduces and mocks the events taking place. He even kind of like influences them to a degree, but for the most part, it seems like most of the episodes of this series, he does not directly take place in the, uh, in the action of the episode, which is strange. Uh, he's usually just there to make a quick one liner, which is, I guess, Freddy Krueger's role. (laughs) <laughs> in in the movies as well, so whatever. Uh, and I guess perhaps because of that limited appearance of Freddy in, in the series, Freddy's Nightmares has a somewhat negative reception among Elm Street fans, and that's probably why it hasn't had like a bunch of releases on on DVD and why it's like not streaming anywhere, because like it just doesn't have like a like a ton of like rabid fans demanding Freddy's nightmares. You know what I mean? It's just kind of this weird mm-hmm. show that happened at the peak of Freddy's popularity. Um, right. Cashing in, cashing in. So I watched the first two episodes because those were the only ones that actually interested me in terms of like who was making them. Uh, right. The first episode's called no more Mr. Nice guy and was directed by Toby Hooper uh, the director of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Poltergeist, so I was like, hey, that's neat. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is my fucking favorite horror film. Uh, and I saw that this episode was different from other episodes in the series because this first episode serves as a prequel to the entire franchise. It shows events only talked about in the first film, such as the trial and murder of Freddy Krueger. 
So I was like, this sounds neat. But it was bad. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> um, it was very cheesy and very bad. I wasn't a fan of how Freddy is portrayed prior to his murder, like as a human. Uh, he seems to essentially be the same exact character. And, in fact, he seems to want to be killed so that he be can become more powerful. Like, when the parents kill him, he's like, yes, I'm free, and, and shit like that, instead of actually being like, like, no, don't kill me. You know, I always interpreted Freddy Krueger as a vengeful spirit out for revenge on, on the children of the parents who killed him, right? That's, like, mm. I thought that was always the intent from movie one. Uh... But here, they they kind of just, like, you know, they make him someone who, I guess, somehow found out he could become a more effective killer once he was dead. I, it just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Uh, so this episode focuses on the cop who arrested Kruger. And apparently he neglected to read Freddy his Miranda rights which is the loophole that allows Freddy to go free. And I found this to be incredibly stupid. Like, they show you the trial, and they're just, like, literally showing evidence that Freddy murdered kids. And then, like, the defense guy is like, hey, but you didn't read him his rights, hey, and you gotta let him go, hey. And then, like, the whole town is like, this is stupid, no... And and then the parents like form an angry mob to go to go kill Freddy. Uh, so so here the cop actually, uh, you know, because of the guilt of fucking this whole thing up, he's the one that burns Freddy actually, and the parents are just there, I guess. But that kind of contradicts the lore we know, in my opinion. I think all the parents should have did it together. Because that's what we were fucking told in the first fucking movie. But whatever. Uh, beyond all that shit, my main problem with this episode is the tonal whiplash it gives you. Uh, for the first half of the episode, Freddy's, Freddy's treated like a creepy, evil stalker who murders children in cold blood. It's, it's, it's a more serious portrayal, like, like, you know, closer to how Freddy's portrayed in in the first movie, which is fine because it's a prequel to that. So I thought that's the vibe they were going with. But then in the final scene of this episode, Freddy takes revenge on the cop when he uh, gets put under anesthesia at the dentist and he, you know, poses as a dentist and he rips out all his teeth in a like comedic death scene. That's closer to stuff that's like in the dream master. Uh -huh. And I guess it's funny to a degree because, like, like he like shows him what his face looks like in the mirror, and he's like, "Now there's a face only a mother could love." Ha ha ha! You know, it's Freddy. Oh no, it's, it's cheesy, dumb Freddy shit. But like, it does feel like it ruins the serious vibe the episode was going for. Like, they literally have POV shots of like, 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 like Freddy's vision, like, like Halloween style POV shots where he's like stalking. Uh, a family and like looking in the window of like children sleeping and shit 
and it's super creepy and unsettling, but then the episode ends with him killing a man as a dentist and going like, you know, your health insurance doesn't cover this, or like whatever the fuck he says. Like, I don't think that's what he says, but, (laughs) you know, it's not hard to write Freddy Krueger, I guess. Uh, All in all, not an essential hidden gem of the series, but rather... Uh, I guess a mediocre oddity, if if anything, but it's not great. Uh, now, the second episode, I found that much more enjoyable. I watched this one, titled uh, It's a Miserable Life, because it was directed by Tom McLaughlin. And I really enjoyed Friday the 13th, Part 6, and I, I guess New Line weren't willing to give him creative control on an Elm Street film, but... They were willing to make an exception for the TV show, uh, and they let him do an episode. Uh, this is probably more in line with how most episodes of Freddy Nightmares are. Uh, basically, you have an hour-long episode, but it's split down the middle into two loosely connected stories. Uh, the first half focuses on a teenage fast food employee, and his monotonous shift turns into a nightmare... And I kind of loved how this kind of portrays a nightmare that has tons of, like, false starts and stops. Like, he he gets shot at the fucking burger place, and then he wakes up, like, at his house. And then, like, his parents are being excessively weird and, like, you know, pushing him into staying at the burger joint and not moving on with his life to college and, like, being, like creepy as shit and then he's like ah stop it and then he like wakes up and then like another thing happens and it just like doesn't end and it's genuinely creepy uh like just when he thinks he has woken up and escaped he's right in the middle of another insane situation uh and the second half is creepy as well that focuses on his girlfriend uh the girlfriend here is played by lar park lincoln who played tina the psychic in Friday the 13th part seven, the new blood. Uh, so she's hospitalized and she drifts in and out of consciousness. And it, it mimics that structure from the first half's never ending nightmare by, but it ends up being creepy for entirely different reasons. Like you see her like, you know, being helpless in the surgery room at the hands of crazed doctors. And she's like wheeled to the morgue by mistake or on purpose. And like, she, meets her dead parents and like all kinds of like creepy shit. Uh, it's like particularly visceral in like these POV shots where she's like looking up during surgery and she just like looks to the side and there's like some, some like weird image. Like one of the doctors is making out with a nurse like in front of her, like during surgery. And then like, she like blinks and like it's gone. So like, you never know like what's, reality or like what the fuck's going on in her head. And it really doesn't answer that throughout the whole thing. It's just kind of like a little unsettling nightmare piece. Uh, it's interesting. It kind of plays with the concept of nightmares in a more interesting way than some of these fucking nightmare on Elm street films even do like for instance, part two, uh, but, um, Freddy doesn't have much to do other than, like, at the end of the episode, he's in, like, hospital scrubs 
and he says like we make house calls or or something stupid like that but like it's still a fun episode of tv it's very creative and different it doesn't have freddy and doesn't rely on freddy but it's like kind of just like an effective creepy short film i guess is the vibe i got from it and i i don't think most of the episodes of this show succeed at being this interesting apparently this is one of the better ones so i'm glad i watched it at least so like i don't know it's it's <laughs> not something i can recommend as a whole but like maybe if you could find okay. that second episode check that out just to like get an idea of like what what a good episode of freddy's nightmares would be and it's like not like anything like mind blowing or perfect or anything, but like I just thought it was like a creepy little short film. I thought it was cool. Okay. Well, I'm, I was that's honestly surprising. I didn't think you'd end up saying anything positive. So well, that's a plus. I, I didn't like the first episode. I'll tell you that. But the second, which is surprising, that's probably the one that we, you probably would have expected. Yeah, to like I think it's the one most people watch because it's the only one that actually has anything to do with the the franchise, really. Like because it's tied to like the origins, but. Like, you know, I can see how, like, in a very Halloween 3 kind of way, people dismiss this because it's not, like, it has nothing to do with the rest of the franchise. Like, Freddy's there to just, like, go, like, you know, haha, this this is, the episode's about planes, so I'll, like, say, like, going up or something like that. I don't know. Like, <laughs> there's nothing much to it. Uh, he's not really, like, talkative like the Crypt Keeper. He just has, like, a one-liner, and then the episode is exists. That's it. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I doubt I'm going to watch more, because, like, eh. Maybe if I'm bored one day, yeah. you know? I, I think a lot of them well, are on daily motion, because... Thank God for daily motion, because sometimes, you know, shit just, like, is lost forever. And, like, you know, God forbid you upload it to YouTube, because slap you with that DMCA, boy. I don't know. That Dimka. That Dimka. (laughs) (laughs) Alright. Think it's gonna do for us today? Yeah, that's fine. Off of that, on that little end cap there, covered a couple nightmare thingies. Yeah. Next week, we watched the fifth one, which is probably worse. The, the Dream Chilled? The Dream Chilled. Yeah, I heard that uh, this is um bad one. Might be the worst Might be one. the worst one? Might be. Sick. Right, like, the, these next two are, you know, the, the contenders. So it's, so it's just so. It's this one, then Freddy's Dead. Yeah, but... Freddy's Dead has the power glove thing in it, so it might be better. <laughs> we'll see what happens. I am so fucking excited to see that. Oh my god. It's a fucking meme, dog. Just you wait. Playing with power, bitch. Nintendo would never Just okay this wait. today. No, no. They would never. We'll talk Could you about imagine, that we like, fucking, like, like, what's, like, a modern horror movie? Could you imagine if, like, Annabelle like killed someone with a Wii mote or something. That'd be neat. Ha! I'll never imagine. <laughs> in, in, imagine in Midsummer if somebody brought their Switch with them and they sit down and play it. 
the fucking like the little girl in hereditary that like gets decapitated uh (laughs) like she's she's like she was playing uh smash brothers on her switch when that happened and and you just like (laughs) just like (laughs) just hear it go like you know game set <laughs> like when her head flies off that's good I think, that, I think that would work really well for the tone that that movie's going for <laughs> uh, yeah I'm, fuck, I'm fucking leaving bro fuck sorry, this shit sorry I'm for out. spoiling hereditary uh, yeah. fuck you it's funny though fuck you <laughs> hereditary's a great movie watch it uh, I mean yeah please well, watch I guess, the movie it's I guess good compared to watch these. it if you like being uh, stressed out and uncomfortable. It's effective at right. that, but like, yeah, you have to like be in the mood for that, I guess. I remember when we watched that movie, we all had a plan to go have a fire at my house afterwards, and like, we didn't want to do it because we were all so stressed yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, that's some shit. <laughs> that was a good time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna leave, go to bed now because I haven't slept yet. Goodbye, everybody. Next week, probably. I hope so. Bye, everybody.